The following contest is scheduled for one fall. Please welcome Mr. Fretz. On this 55th episode of the Fretzelmania podcast, I review NWA Chitown Rumble 89, featuring a historic World Heavyweight Championship match between the Nature Boy Ric Flair and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Also, Paul Heyman's original Midnight Express versus Jim Cornette's Midnight Express in a Loser Leaves Town match. Also, Barry Windham versus Lex Luger for the U.S. title. Mike Rotunda versus Rick Steiner for the TV title. The Road Warriors versus the Varsity Clubs. The Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan and Dr. Death Steve Williams. For the Tag Team Championship, all that and so much more on this historic episode of Fretzelmania. Stay tuned, my friends. What's going on, peeps? Mr. Fretz here with another retro wrestling review, continuing my epilogue following the failed WCW invasion angle. This time, Chi-Town Rumble 89, which is produced by WCW under the NWA banner. There's a little bit of WCW-esque things sprinkled in this show, such as the World Heavyweight Championship, the big gold belt being on the line in the main event. Last week, when I reviewed Starcade 83, it was the original 10 pounds of gold, which is currently held by Trevor Murdoch, on the line in that show. So between then and now, I guess the partnership with NWA was starting to dissolve. NWA would become actually WCW by about 1990-1991. Now, at around that time, that is February 1989, I was about to turn 5 that April, and then that September, I would be starting kindergarten. So I was uh, technically still in preschool, or I think as it's known today, junior kindergarten. Yeah, my preschool was above our hometown arena so when we we're like playing tag or playing with blocks or something we could take a look down on ice level and watch you know people have a hockey practice so that was kind of a fun time topping the charts at this time was straight up by paula abdul and lost in your eyes by debbie gibson some movies I don't want to say that they were notable because they weren't very notable unless you're a fan of this. Toxic Avenger 2 and Who's Harry Crumb featuring the late great Canadian legend himself, John Candy. Starting off this show was a sizzle reel to perfect 80s cheese synth music. Good old JR, Jim Ross, and Magnum TA former wrestler who I think was forced to retire at that time. He had a motorcycle crash that just effed him all the way up. We're calling the action. And this is from the UTC Pavilion Arena in Chicago, Illinois, a historic venue. 
a historic city in the world of professional wrestling. Even to this day, as just a couple of months ago now, was the long-awaited return of CM Punk. And Chicago has also been host to at least two WrestleManias. I think there is more, but Chicago is a great, great wrestling city. The ring announcer here is the legendary Gary Michael Capetta. I don't think he's the guy from WCW who sounds like from the NWO era, but I'm going to have to look up that guy's name now. <laughs> that, of course, was David Penzer. Thanks, Wikipedia! And that name, of course, was David Penzer. Thank you, Wikipedia. For once, you're actually useful. The kickoff has Michael P.S. Hayes in a very old-school, shouty interview. Says that he feels like Pete Rose as the lead bat of an all-star game, and that is an all-star game I would like to see. Kicking off the show is, of course, Michael P.S. Hayes of the Freebirds, going up against Russian assassin number one, portrayed by the late David Sheldon. He was other wrestlers like the Angel of Death, and the original portrayer, portrayal, original person who wore the Black Scorpion outfit, that review is to come soon. We start off with a headlock conversation. The Russian does a leapfrog, but Michael Hayes manages to uh, counter and bop him. CCCP tights. Yes, the Soviet Union, the USSR, was still a thing at this point in time. Uh, <laughs> that just makes me think of playing the original Street Fighter in the arcade and trying my best to nail the spinning pile driver with Zangief, my favorite Street Fighter character. Michael Hayes here. Um... One of the commentators here, I think JR, says that he has a Charles Manson-like stare. And if you have a Charles Manson-like anything, that's a giant red flag. Russian Assassin has the atomic drop, but Michael Hayes reverses it into a Brody Lee lariat. The Russian hits the just a wicked-looking kitchen sink running knee. A sleeper. Agent is locked in by Russian assassin number one. Paul Jones with a cheap shot behind the referee's back. But to no avail, as Michael Hayes hits the running DDT. Doot, doot, doot. And he wins this match. Bad street, Atlanta GA. Baddest street in the whole USA. Blaring through the arena as Michael Hayes struts back up the ramp to the back. Backstage, Steamboat and his family cutting a babyface promo, doing the all respect due to Ric Flair, blah, 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 saying that, you know, he's not O.J. Simpson going after Jim Brown. Uh, <clears throat> I'm not going to touch that one there. <laughs> and there's a one of his babies. I don't know if this was Richie Steamboat, you know, the one that would go on in very, very early FCW NXT era and hold the... FCW 15-minute championship, I think that's what it's called. That is worth a cursory Google search because that championship is actually kind of fascinating. It paralleled, in a way, the old-school television championship, and you had 15 minutes. And, yeah, that's, that's just the, the gist of it. But it could have been, you know, one of his brothers because I think Richie Steamboat was that size, like toddler size, 
at WrestleMania 4. Wait a minute, that was just the year before. That is probably still <laughs> Richie Steamboat. Anyways, here. The next match features a young Sting versus Hacksaw Butch Reed. I bet you thought I was going to say Jim Duggan, but Jim Duggan was not the only Hacksaw in professional wrestling. Ho! He is, of course, accompanied by Butch Reed is by Hiro Matsuda, a Japanese legend who you usually hear Hulk Hogan talk about a lot, but he is out here accompanying 99.9% of the heels on this show. We see Stinger here. He is very new in the company. I think he had just broken away from the Blade Runners with the Ultimate Warrior, as Warrior at this time was the Intercontinental Champion in the World Wrestling Federation. Sting, at this point in time, is just getting started. I don't think he's even held a title yet, and he is hella over. And 32 years later, last night during his match with the Gun Club, at this time that I'm recording this in December 2021, he is still over and still wrestling, despite the fact everyone thought he would never wrestle again after that unfortunate match that unfortunate buckle bomb accident with seth rollins in 2015 14 whenever that was and you can tell here that sting especially with the benefit of of hindsight is gonna be something special here there's a wicked hip toss flip counter in this match sting just nailing the best drop kicks this side of hardcore holly butch reed locks in the sleeper sting stings up hulks up whatever matsuda choking sting from the ringside here sting goes for the vader bomb but is met with hacksaw's knees reed goes for the neck breaker and there's a big nope reed goes for the you know the classic heel holding your bottom rope with the arms leverage pin spot but is reverses into a sunset flip for the stinger win this next match is just silly bollocks. It's ridiculous. It's fun. And I'm all for it. As it features the Midnight Express, Bobby Eaton and Sweet Stan Lane, accompanied by Jim Cornette, going up against Paul E. Dangerously's original Midnight Express of Dennis Condry and Randy Rhodes. Bit of backstory here at Starcade the year before, Eaton and Lane defeated Condry and Rose in a tag team match. The rivalry then would expand to their managers, Cornette and Dangerously, respectively. And this match was announced as a Loser Leaves Town six-person tag. Although conspicuous by his absence on this show was Dennis Condry for reasons. Paul Heyman decided to put a bit of a swerve bro here to plant mind games into the Midnight Express, the the, the real <laughs> Midnight Express here, and replaced Dennis Condry with fu future ECW star, the man that would go on to bodyguard the king of old school Steve Carino, yes, Jack Victory. Dennis Condry actually left the NWA just before this event, so that explains why Jack Victory is just thrown into this match. And uh, Paul Dangerously here, good old Heyman himself with a glorious Kentucky waterfall, just 
a mullet, says that there's a big disease in America. Bobby flu, stand fever, and cornetitis. That's funny. Saying blah, blah, blah. You know, we're going to win. We're the real Midnight Express. Yeah, uh, Bart Gunn and Bob Hollywood like a word with you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Lucha Leafs Town. This th this match is awesome. I, I love This might be my favorite match if it wasn't for Steamboat and Flair. But Paul's mullet is on point here. And so is uh, Bobby Eaton. R.I.P. God rest his soul. We just, the wrestling world just lost him uh, just this year. Best top rope leg drop ever because, you know, he could make it so that he wouldn't make himself two inches shorter. Just ask Hulk Hogan, who mercifully never did the leg drop off the top rope, or he would probably be dead. Cornette's promo previous, previous to this just... Uh, Still reigns true for Paul Heyman today. It's like there's no limit to how low you'll stoop. And it, there's no power that will drive us out of the NWA. And instead of the awesome Midnight Express theme that you heard at the beginning of this show, the WWE Network, oh man. I could cut a promo on the network here, but fortunately Canada doesn't have Peacock yet, so I can breathe easy. It was a crap, like version of that theme and oh my gosh i want to talk about jim Cornette's spandex onesie here cosplaying as montel vontavious porter some 16 26 years before he would even become a thing in the wwe just comedy gold i mean if he was a heel in this match, just seeing the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette as baby faces was really weird, especially since I've been watching some of his heel stuff in the WWE. Uh, by the time you hear this, I will have been on the Apron Bump podcast talking about King of the Ring 95. <sighs> oh, I'm going to save my rage for that show. Ladies the ladies here being shown in the crowd here with just fantastic 80s perms. Loving these dudes. These moderately attractive men with okay body. I, I say that and I'm an ugly mofo with the ugliest upper body of all time. Said one of my high school mates that uh, I still think of 20 years after he said it. Yeah, jeez. Anyway, oh boy. Anyways, here we have Stan Lane saying, you know, from Myrtle Beach, also the hometown of Vanna White. I understand they were buddies at one time. And Randy here gets Rick flared from the top rope by Stan Lane. Just, you know, big old flop here. Uh, Jack Victory here, the newest member of the Midnight Express, gets involved in this match. We hear some random, distorted Charlie Brown adult voices here. I think someone's walkie-talkie was turned way too loud here. There's a lot of distorted noise during this show. I can hear, like, beep boops and... Uh, beautiful Bobby and Corny here do a double elbow drop on Jack Victory. And then Jim Cornette is so proud of himself that he does the Fargo strut. Eaton holds Randy while Corny goes for a punch. Paul accidentally hits Randy Rose here, and there's a little bit of a dissension. 
smellness in the original Midnight Express. Eaton has smashed off the railing here, so we're going to give him the Babyface in Peril and Hope spot. So Sweet Stan Lane can get the hot tag. Bobby Eaton gets worked over here. Paul Heyman tags in, starts stomping Eaton, and then immediately tags Rose back in. Rose slams Cornette. Cornette is just taking awesome bumps in this match. A lot of people rag on Cornette for some of the shit that he said, and some of it is kind of terrible, but you can't discredit what he's brought to wrestling and just his bumping ability here back then. He was just so friggin' good. Uh, dangerously gives Corny a kick in here with hilarious comedy selling by them both. Corny then just levels Heyman with a punch here. Randy works over Corny for a little bit. There was a bulldog by a beautiful Bobby behind the ref's back. Stan Lane gets tagged in here. They hit the double flapjack on Jack Victory, I think, and the original Midnight Express and Paul E. Dangerously lose and are out of the NWA but for how long? Because, let's face it, this is wrestling. This is 1989, and Polly Dangerously would be a fixture on WCW programming until about 92 or so. But this match was just so fun, and I'm still weirded out that the Midnight Express are babyfaces after just seeing some of their stuff of the Rock and Roll Express from shows previous to this. Nature Boy, Ric Flair cutting a pro on backstage, and here's the Nature Boy. Here's the, woo, jet-flying, uh, confident Nature Boy found himself here. Between the six years, between Starcade 83 and now, man, there is just a stark difference in Ric Flair. Just the light bulb went off, and he is going here. Uh, Hiro Matsuda being... The heavy for Ric Flair. He says that it's gut check time. Steamboat, I guarantee a victory tonight. Chicago will be on fire. <clears throat> yeah, I'm not, I'm not touching that one, Rick. But yeah, a great fiery heel promo by Ric Flair here. Before we go on to the next match, Mike Rotunda challenging the dogface gremlin, Rick Steiner, for the TV title. These two would meet each other again in the WWE just four years later for the Tag Team Championship. So there's a big old nice full circle moment here. Nate, take a shot. Shout out to Nate the effing great, by the way. Love you, bro. And it's Mike Rotunda of the Varsity Club, a stable that we would see a little later on during this show. Scott Steiner with his glorious Kentucky Waterfall mullet is at ringside. And the crowd is barking for the dog-faced gremlin. So the barking goes way back as far as this. That was kind of neat to see. Just much, much like the the dog-faced nephew, the big dad booty nephew, whatever they call Braun Breaker these days. Uh, there are some great mat wrestling with these two as they are both amateur standouts from college. Uh, Rick Steiner from the University of Michigan and Mike Rotunda the father of Bo Dallas and Bray Wyatt, of course, from the University of Syracuse. There is some just, it's awesome mat wrestling. It's really good. There is abdominal stretch here with IRS. I mean, Rotunda, man, I'm going to call him IRS for the rest of this 
review. Doing the ropes for leverage heel spot here. And much like every Rotunda match that we would see from here to eternity, he is dripping like a Christmas ham. Just drenched. And this is coming from a guy who will walk three minutes to his job. Did I just say three? Three minutes, I'm out of here. Nope, nope, not yet. Not yet, Jamal and Rosie, RIP. Um, I walk three minutes to my work, and uh, I will also trench and sweat because I am kind of big and hairy. Anyways here, uh, there's a great abdominal stretch into a pin by Irwin here. Steiner rolls through some spots here. Rick goes for a top rope, nothing, and misses. Lands a really crisp, really nice power slam. And Kevin Sullivan, the taskmaster himself, comes to the ring here and just grabs the mic and says, Hey, that's a cute dog you have backstage. Creating a little bit of mind games for the dog face gremlin. It's like, hey, leave my dog alone. <laughs> uh, Steiner here hits a really nice suplex on Rotunda. And this is where I heard some of those beep boops from the walkie-talkie or maybe like, uh, whatever the robots from the 80s movies are here. W did Rocky have a robot in its movie? Yeah, <laughs> anyways here. You hear the beep boops. Steiner locks in a sleeper here. However, he he rolls back on onto the mat here with the sleeper, kind of like how Samoa Joe falls back into the Coquina clutch. But Steiner's shoulders are down. The ref counts a pin Rick Steiner pins himself, and Mike Rotunda is the new TV champion in not the only version of that pin we would see tonight. Spoiler alert, but this match was great technical, just ground wrestling. I think uh, I, I drew some parallels here, like Angle and Benoit, when they had their opening exchanges, at least during their ultimate submission match from 2001 which is one of my favorite matches of all time and this was very very good he went on a technicality for some reason backstage bob coddle is with the road warriors r.i.p to both of them ah just devastated that we lost both of the road warriors a road warrior animal i met a year and a bit before he passed away at niagara falls comic con 2019 and he was a very nice dude we talked about his son who had just retired from football we talked a little bit about hawk i wore the pads it was great they cut your old school shouty lod promo <laughs> with ah uh, just mwah. you know hawk says that tonight it's going to be like the okay corral with wyatt earp only we don't use bullets Dead men can't feel pain, and that just made me even sadder. Paul Ellering there just says the cards are dealt for the Varsity Club. Next up is the total package Lex Luger challenging Barry Windham for the U.S. title. Hiro Matsuda is at ringside with Barry Windham. Why is he all over this freaking show? Barry is wearing a single black glove here as he has been using the claw as a finisher. So I guess Baron Von Raschke is all over 1989 wrestling, just like he was in 2021 wrestling. And Barry here has been wearing a single black glove, as not only is he using the superplex as a finisher, but he's also been using the claw. So 
by a proxy. Baron Von Raschke is in 1989 wrestling and in 2021 wrestling. Wrestling is weird. <laughs> yeah, this this match is just a big meaty men slapping meat. The the K Murphy special and it's it's good S word here, pal. There's an atomic drop by Lex, a gorilla press. The ten ponches are blocked. Another atomic drop is reversed into a Brody Lee lariat again. Wyndham has that glove. He's going for the claw, but Lex evades it. They go for a schmoz. They go for a little bit of a brawl at ringside. Barry Wyndham goes for a punch on Lex, but just punches the ring post hard, and it his hand starts to bleed. So there could have been a shoot thing here. Unless he was hiding a blade in between his fingers, which, ow, and why, and also, ow, I've had stitches in my two of my fingers over exacto knife blades. So absolutely freaking not. So this, of course, puts a damper on the claw. And Barry is just continuing to grab his hand. So maybe there was a shoot injury here. It looked pretty rough so he he does go for the claw but because his hand is weakened due to that shot it's not effective a big power slam by barry here luger also gets busted open then barry lands the superplex and just to put icing on that cake a running elbow drop but the total package kicks out we then see a belly-to-back suplex into a pin by Barry Windham. And much like just the last match, Barry pins himself. Lex Luger is the new United States champion. And Barry just goes coastal attacking Lex after the match. Landing a pile driver on the belt to Lex Luger, so this feud probably continues. Backstage, Mike Rotunda flubs a promo here, accidentally calling himself a world heavyweight champion instead of a world television champion, and we're on to the next match. The Road Warriors, Animal and Hawk, defending the Tag Team Championship against Dr. Death, Steve Williams, and the Taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan of varsity club sullivan goes to the top but animal cock catches him in a really sloppy looking power slam we hear lod chants by the crowd here and i thought that lod the legion of doom was a wwe creation for their name because of you know road warriors or warriors or something being copywritten or because of the ultimate warrior or something I can't remember, but they do call them the Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors here. So yeah, that's a bit of a history lesson. There's a a good power slam on Doctor Death. Hawk tags in. There's a really nice double lariat on Steve Williams. They go for the Doomsday device, but nope, chop block here. And then there is a flying clothesline out of nowhere by by Hawk. There is another legal man syndrome here match as Hawk is pinning Sullivan. And at the same time, Dr. Death is pinning Animal. There's a pinfall here. Legal man syndrome, a double pin, a dusty finish. No, 
the LOD just win because Hawk was the legal man. Backstage, there is a Lex Luger interview. He's all taped up. He's all battered up. Uh, you can't quite hear it because there's a lot of chatter, a lot of noise coming from the other end of the locker room. But, yeah, that was quite the spot here. And we're now, already, finally, at the main event of the evening. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat challenging the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, woo, for the World Heavyweight Championship. Ric Flair gets roses from the cute girls at ringside. And Jim Ross talks about the history of the NWA Championship. The first champion was crowned in 1905 when Frank Gotch defeated George Hackenschmidt. And if either of those two guys aren't on your pro wrestling Mount Rushmore, you are doing it wrong. And JR goes on to say that there have been two NWA title changes in Chicago. One was in 1961 when the OG nature boy Buddy Rogers upset Lou Thez, another man who belongs on your pro wrestling Mount Rushmore. And in 1987, Ric Flair regained the title against rubbish Ronnie Garbage, uh, Ronnie Garvin, uh, shout out to OSW Review, and right away there was a tackle by Ricky, a whole bunch of near falls, and this match just breaks out into your classic near falls here, hot moves here, brawl around the back here, and just awesome stuff. Brad Muster from Dub Bears, a rookie at the time, was shown at ringside saying that he always wears a Ric Flair shirt under his football gear. And then Kurt Beckler as well. A few other football people were mentioned here. I'm surprised that uh, Mike Ditka wasn't mentioned here as well. But uh, this was also a few years before the infamous Dob Bears sketch on SNL. Uh, anyways, going back to the action here. There is a chop off between the two because two of the best choppers... Chop people. People that do chops in professional wrestling are in this match here. There was a long headlock conversation here. Flair tries to use the tights, and you can kind of see the camera angle. He's got his hand, like, right on his, on Steamboat's cheek. He could even be going, like, you know, near his crack. But Steamer here catwalks up the turnbuckle with a headlock and continues to hold it on here. And they talk about, uh, JR here talks about their amateur background. A great back and forth match. A leapfrog and a chop by Steamboat. And they say that this belt is worth $40,000, which today would be worth eighty six grand. Yeah, um, I don't buy that for a second. I bought my big gold for like three, four hundred bucks at Comic-Con. And... They say here that Ric Flair broke his back in 1975, and six years later, he's the NWA champion. That just shows you the guts and the intestinal fortitude of the Nature Boy here. And uh, Flair goes for a crossbody, but Steamboat rolls through here and almost wins the title. Ric Flair locks in the figure four, and like every time, heel Ric Flair locks in the figure four. He tries to go for the ropes for leverage spot here while the referee isn't looking steamboat chance during this thing and the figure four is locked in for an eternity 
and we see Steamboat tapping. However, at that point in time, there was no really tapping out in pro wrestling. I wouldn't see that until at least 96, 97, maybe 95, because it would only be like, do you give up? No, do you give up? No, and then it would be like, you nod. Like, if you watch Bret Hart versus Mr. Perfect from SummerSlam 2001, just two years after this, you would see immediately as the sharpshooter is locked in and cinched in that Mr. Perfect would start nodding and shouting yes. Or the I Quit match between Bob Backlund and Bret Hart from WrestleMania 11, which was freaking abysmal. It'd be like, yes, Bob Backlund says, instead of I Quit, because it's the name of the match. Anyways, here, uh, both men tumble over the ropes onto the outside. We have a schmoz. Flair goes for a suplex, has his foot on the ropes. Nope. The says the referee. Then we see near falls and counters and hope spots. A top rope chop by Steamer across body, but the referee gets in the way and eats all of that crossbody. Ric Flair tries to throw Steamer out to the ringside, but classic Steamboat skins the cat, flips back into the ring the figure four is locked in once again but there was a reverse cradle by steamboat a new referee slides in the ring one two three steamboat wins the world heavyweight championship for the first time in his career what a match i encourage all of you to go out of your way to watch this match actually this whole pay-per-view was pretty darn good it was a fun watch it was easy to sit through it's only two hours and a bit so you're basically watching modern era raw to to catch this show steamboat and flair would go on to have several other matches at the next pay-per-view wrestle war spoiler alert uh, rick flair would regain his wcw title against steamboat and they had several matches on house show loops they used to always go like 45 60 minutes i think they also had like a 60 minute match on pay-per-view elsewhere in the annals of wcw i might have been a little bit too late because that was actually the match i was hoping to review but this one was great it was it was fantastic it was historic i believe it was steamboat's first heavyweight championship run and i mean it was great what, what more can I say? Uh, thank you very much, everybody, for listening to this episode of Fretzelmania. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Fretzelmania. That's F-R-E-T-Z-L-E Mania. Listen to Wrestle Addict Radio, the cure for the Common Wrestling Podcast on all common listening platforms, also including the Kings of the Rings podcast, who live stream their podcast every Wednesday night at about... 745 8 o'clock on YouTube, Twitter, and if you're blessed enough to have King Ricky's personal Facebook page on there as well. And of course, the Young Lions Perspective Young Lions Perspective Take Two. Cut that and it's in. Mr. YLP himself, Zach, recently cut a return promo show, so be sure to watch out for more YLP in the future. And I gotta put over good brother Mance, although he is not podcasting with us anymore. His 
back catalog is on our Wrestle Attic Radio podcast feed. So I suggest going back and checking out Mance talking about uh, WCW in 2000 or some other stuff. Once in a blue moon, Mance does stream on Twitch. I'm just about to wrap up the show here and watch his Twitch stream. I don't know what he's doing, but it'll be great to connect and catch up. And thank you very much again for listening, everybody. Next time I record, I don't know what I'm reviewing yet. I'm recording this on the 2nd of December, so that one will be out on the 17th. Don't know what it's going to be yet. Maybe it's going to be another old school WCW. Maybe it's going to be a match of the year or retrospective of the year. As the 24th and 31st will be no podcasts coming from yours truly as that is the holiday season. I'll have a couple more retro shows to wrap up in the new year before I go into the Ruthless Six podcast era. What is that? Well, you're just going to have to wait and see, although it's in the title. I've been talking about it all year. You know what it's going to be. TTFN, ta-ta for now.